This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you, as I am, for new episodes every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ripodcast.com, or wherever you like to listen. Okay, today we're going to get into an issue that kind of began to percolate not only here in Rhode Island, but on a national scale as well in certain pockets, and that is a dress code for lawmakers. And this is something that began with somewhat of a dispute, I guess, between Rhode Island Senate President Dominic Ruggiero and freshman Senator Jonathan Acosta, the progressive candidate that emerged from Central Falls. And Senator Acosta pushed back on the notion of a dress code saying, hey, look, a suit and tie and sort of this kind of commonplace uniform that is being proposed by Senator, by Senate President Ruggiero Uh, doesn't represent me, and it certainly doesn't represent my constituency. And so this back and forth occurred. I'm going to read you right now. This is from the Providence Journal. Kathy Gregg, this is all the way back on March 23rd. The Senate dress code survives attempts by new lawmakers to scratch it. Define appropriately dressed. Should Rhode Island senators be required to wear blouses, dress slacks, and collared shirts with accompanying jacket when they gather at the state house or anywhere else to do legislative business? A new generation of mostly younger senators said no on Tuesday when the sartorial debate that began in a Rhode Island Senate committee last week continued in the full Senate. But they lost their fight to eliminate the beefed up new dress code from the Senate's rules on a 29 to 7 vote. Okay, so fast forward, I was on WPRO as a guest actually a couple of weeks ago talking about this issue and I brought up the point of, hey, you know what? This is one of those situations where maybe no one's right. And the reason why is because the boxy men's warehouse look that is being proposed by Senate President Ruggiero doesn't necessarily convey confidence or professionalism, and perhaps the attire being proposed or being worn by Senator Acosta and others is able to, maybe with some modifications, um, convey a degree of professionalism and confidence that is not conveyed if you're wearing an oversized boxy suit. In other words, nobody's right uh, necessarily. It's an individual choice, but also going with an outdated look that conveys insurance salesmen doesn't necessarily convey confidence anymore than something that may be considered business casual or relaxed attire. So joining me today here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast is attorney Doug Hand. Now, he's a partner at HBA in New York, and full disclosure, he was my first boss when I was in New York working for HBA at the time as an assistant, and I learned a great deal in my time at Hand Baldishin and Associates uh, there in Midtown Manhattan. They are a media and technology law firm, and Doug Hand is one of the premier um, fashion attorneys in the United States. He teaches, he writes books, he has his own podcast. We'll get into that a bit in the conversation here, but more than anything, I was curious about his take on what's appropriate dress for a public official these days. And, you know, here in Rhode Island, I think people have a decent sense of fashion, but when you go to that New York Midtown perspective, you may be able to have a different take on why business casual or culturally appropriate wardrobe conveys a more professional vibe than say, again, I hate to use it because I've never even been there, but that men's warehouse sort of look. Okay, so today we welcome in Doug Hand, Hand Baldishin, and Associates. 
here to the Bartholomew Town Podcast, which you may support for as little as $3 per month by becoming a B-Town Insider. Head to patreon.com slash Town, where you'll receive exclusive content at our $10 per month level. That's patreon.com slash Town. With that, Doug Hand on a dress code for Rhode Island public officials. All right, so today we're talking about a conversation that has really percolated in 2021, but it's sort of been floating out there beforehand. And that is this notion of a dress code inside the halls of government. And I think it was about a month ago, I was on the radio and this after State Senator Jonathan Acosta here accused the Senate president of either being racist or out of touch in requiring that everybody show up dressed exactly like the Senate president, essentially, which would be in a sort of an old school suit. I made comments that got some attention when I suggested that wearing a suit and tie, if it's boxy and not color coordinated and some of the other things that we see up there in in, in the state house, uh, doesn't convey professionalism or confidence any more than business casual may. So today we have the one, the only Doug Hand here broadcasting from somewhere in, in New York on the uh, on, on the, in the Long Island City pipeline, and we're going to get into this issue. So, Doug, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, it's great to be on here and and reconnect with you, Bill. Absolutely. So, so this notion of professional wardrobe—it's something that you specialize in. Broadly speaking, as a fashion lawyer, you write and teach on this this topic as well. And it's evolved over time to a point now where there's a lot of options that people have that go outside of the traditional suit and tie, boxy suit and tie sort of look for men. Can you just sort of set up your experience in this field and what it's been like for you over the last decade plus? I mean, really, actually much more than that now, 15 plus years of sort of working behind the scenes in this field. Yeah, well, believe it or not, 25. Holy Moses. Yeah, I know, I know. But um, no, I I came up and, um, you know, finished law school in the 90s. And um, so I really have seen a a decade to decade shift in the, what I'll just call business casualization of professional appearance. Um, You know, that being said, uh, and, and the American Bar Association, you know, greenlit me to write a book on this subject because of these shifting norms. You know, I still do think, because it sounds like you agree with, that, that looking professional, certainly as a lawyer, uh, certainly as an elected official, is, is important. You know, it's, it's an important element to uh, honor your constituency, uh, to, to honor the profession on some level, and also just, you know, your client has a certain degree of expectation about it. But what it means in this day and age, you know, is, is pretty different for different people. And um, I can speak mostly to menswear, but, you know, women's wear being fraught with other elements. But, you know, um, the suit is certainly not dead. The suit has a place and I think will always have a place in the wardrobe of the professional. Um, but the suit has to fit (laughs) and the suit has to, you know, I mean, suits are made of, of many different materials, many different cuts, just because it's a suit doesn't mean it connotes, uh, professionalism or respect, you know, clowns wear suits 
and um, <laughs> carnival hucksters wear suits. A suit can be something that that actually undercuts, you know, confidence in someone. So, um, you know, I think that's a good. I, I want to let you ask questions rather than me monologue. But I think, um, you know, I'm I'm a pretty astute uh, student as well as um, professor on this subject. Uh, also teaching at a of law schools, NYU and Cardoza Law School here in New York. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that notion. And it's fascinating. I know I had an experience where first for a few years, I was on this television program up here called A Lively Experiment that is basically a political roundtable of, you know, you get an elected official, you get somebody who leans left, somebody that leans right, you put them at a, a desk and talk about politics for 30 minutes live. And I'd show up in a suit and tie. And, and at one point, w- one of my mentors up here, who is sort of an, uh, a well-known advertising agent, called me up and said, hey, man, you've got to lose the suit. I mean, don't you have a jean jacket or you know, there's going to be a better way to do this because you're not selling yourself. So that planted a seed in my head that's, that sort of has remained where you, know, you keep up with the trends and you have to reflect yourself as best as possible. If you're trying to imitate something else, that's where you get into trouble, especially if you're imitating it in such a way that you're either, frankly, cheaping out or just not paying attention to what's going on. I suppose that that feeds into your, your notion that it goes beyond the suit now. The suit has a place, but it's really about bringing out the best in an individual more than anything else. Yeah, look, I think our, our choices uh, in personal presentation as they relate to apparel, you know, and accessories that do show up are, are very meaningful. Um, I do think that there are so many options within tailored clothing that you can wear a suit or you can wear, you know, a what I'll call an odd jacket, meaning the same as a suit jacket, but it just doesn't pair with the trousers um, in many, many different ways and really communicate yourself. Even if that self is somebody who people might think of as a rugged jean jacket wearing guy, there are suiting options for them. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not so down on the suit. All I, you know, all I think is that tailored clothing has found its way into what I'll call casual wear and tailored clothing, as the name implies, really means clothes that fit well, you know? Um, and so again, back to your, your, your example of, um, ill-fitting, you know, oversized big and tall double XL suits on gentlemen who may not be double XL. Uh, those don't, those don't do the trick for me. Those don't, you know, help instill confidence and they certainly don't put the wearer forward as, exemplar of, of personal unless those are kind of sloppiness right um right tailored clothing can be can be a knit sweater right but it just you know has a bit of a lapel sort of evokes maybe that sport coat but isn't a sport coat it's a knit um it doesn't need to be a hoodie you know or or a Slayer concert t-shirt to be (laughs) comfortable and casual, right? So, you know, I do have lines, but I I like to think of them not as bright law lines, gray areas, but where, you know, there are things that you might consider a suit that I wouldn't necessarily consider a suit, but that could totally nail, you know, elements of your personality and look very, very professional um, without looking 
stiff without looking like your grandfather and without, you know, sort of, I guess, encroaching on what you feel, you know, your own choices versus choices that someone else is making for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, th and that's particularly interesting coming out of the pandemic. I had a, an interview for my television program this morning and it was, it was funny because the guy who was on the show said, Hey, look, this is probably the first time I've done any media appearance, not in sweatpants since February of 2020. And he actually literally did not have a belt because he didn't know where his belt was. So adjusting post pandemic, I guess that's another pivot area where people who are used to, at least from the waist down, sort of remaining in pajamas are now going to, maybe they're going to say to themselves, wow, you know, part of my productivity was being comfortable. So there's also that element as well, where you're conveying professionalism through how you look, but also how you behave. If you're physically uncomfortable, if you're overheated, if, if there's something that's throwing you off, maybe through the pandemic, we've learned that there's an element of, um, of fitting and material and, and comfort that is important to embrace as we move out of it. Yeah. I mean, look, clothes, your choices in clothes should make you feel confident, not the opposite. So that is extremely important. And it's hard to feel confident when you are overheated, when you are uncomfortable, when you've got a belt buckle digging into your gut. Um, so there are elements of traditional tailored clothing that, that, you know, are not as comfortable as others, right? Um, and that's where I think there have we've seen some interesting pivots. You know, there there are um, things that've been around for centuries called DAC straps on pants, and um, they basically make it so that you don't need a belt. I mean, a belt is a relatively new uh, phenomenon. Most, I'll say, men, because you know it was men that were wearing traditional tailored clothing when you were talking 19th century, 18th century. Um, they wore suspenders. Suspenders were, you know, very de rigueur, well before the belt. And suspenders are actually pretty comfortable, particularly when they're, you know, there's a bit of elasticity in them, um, which may sound more formal to you because we now look at that as kind of throwback dress. But I have seen certain brands that take some of these elements, these traditional elements, DAC straps, which are to most men may think of them when they tito pants. They are on either side of the pants that they can, you know, they just adjust the waist to the pants themselves, as opposed to artificially uh, modifying the pants through a hard leather strap that has a metal buckle on it. Um, and to wear these things might, for some of the, I don't know, traditionalists when we're talking 21st century dress, look like casual wear, can look very, very sleek, very, very stylish. Uh, and still very much be within the realm of tailored clothing, making one look professional. All right, folks, this is getting real. The time for talk is over. From iron workers to engineers, business owners to biology teachers, Rhode Islanders believe in the power of offshore wind. Together, we're cleaning the air and creating jobs right here at home. Our goal of 100% renewables by 2030 is in sight, and the future is bright with Rhode Island a real leader in America's emerging offshore wind industry. So what makes you a Revolution Wind believer? Join us at revolution-wind.com slash it's real. That's revolution-wind.com slash it's real. Let's go. The other element of this that keeps coming up time and time again, 
here in in New England, but also across the country. I think it was in Minnesota or Chicago. I, I should have had the article in front of me. I didn't didn't print it out. Um, where this same conversation around professional wardrobe inside the halls of government uh, had come up is the cultural element of it, where folks here in in Rhode Island, particularly amongst a slew of newly elected, more progressive leaning Democrats, are saying, "Hey, look, what you're suggesting we wear." is a white person's business uniform, and I am not able to represent my constituency properly by conforming to your apparel guidelines, so to speak. How yeah, does yeah. that bridge get navigated in, in a way that is that, that honors everything that we just discussed, but then also honors the cultural intricacies and preferences of particular communities. I mean, that's, it's obviously a very specific question on a one-on-one basis, but just very broadly speaking, there's a way to bridge those two things, I would assume. Uh, I think the bridge, Bill, is formality, which is to say, I don't care what someone's wearing if it's got the requisite formality and whatever culture they're from. You know, the kimono, to just take one example, is an extremely formal garment much more formal than Western dress. Um, You know, there are a couple of menswear stores in Tokyo where they have one floor for tuxedos, traditional Western tuxedos, which is above their traditional suiting store. And then above that, their most formal floor is full of kimonos. Um, You know, so there are many different areas of cultural dress that I think should be considered appropriate to both represent your constituency as well as, quote unquote, honor the forum with which you are doing that or in which you are doing that, rather, um, that don't look like a investment banker. Um, you know, everything from sarongs to, to kimonos and uh, hajibs. And, you know, there, there are a lot of instances. And I think that the bridge is formality. If the wearer ha- is wearing it with the requisite formality, again, kind of back to my hoodie and slash Slayer T-shirt, <laughs> you know, there's no <laughs> formality there, right? But if if they are uh, exhibiting that, to me, that strikes the balance, and that is kind of what they should be exhibiting. Yeah, that is really fascinating, and I think that's where this this broad topic will go from here as we move forward in time, especially as more and more communities are represented in the halls of government or in on boards of directors or any other um, forum in which formal wardrobe is appropriate. And my question is, of course, I was in New York City. I lived there for a decade and, and have been fortunate enough to travel throughout most of the world. But here in Rhode Island, you know, we have a diverse population, but I don't get to see the day-to-day differences in in professionalism that you would certainly see in, in New York. Um, right now, do you, obviously we're not right now because we're coming out of the pandemic, but let's say pre-pandemic, when you were attending or hosting clients, did you find a, that sort of diversity in approach to wardrobe uh, becoming more commonplace as time moved along? Uh, I think so. I may be a little bit of an outlier because as you know, my clientele is disproportionately 98% within the fashion industry. So I did have, you know, a lot of very progressively dressed individuals in our offices. Um, but I do think that it's interesting you bring up the pandemic and, and sort of the zoom phenomenon. It has really 
caused people to reconsider the way in which they present themselves. Um, and I have seen on Zoom calls people in what might look like a robe, um, but you know they have explained its provenance. And I think everybody on those calls or meetings, you know, has again determined that shows the requisite you know, formality that no one here is being disrespected. This wearer is choosing to wear something that they feel makes them look capable and elegant. You know, that's kind of how I get dressed every morning. Uh, I want to look capable and I want to look elegant if I can. I, I always kind of took that from, you know, James Bond always looked capable and elegant, right? And sure. he may not be a great example for this because he was always in a suit, but, you know, that was kind of what I strove for. Um, and I think, pick your adjectives. I think anyone can pick the two adjectives that best apply to them and then overlay on top of that the requisite formality if you are representing a client or even more so if you're representing an entire constituency. And I think you can nail it. Doug Hand, he is a partner at Hand Baldishin and Associates in New York. He's a teacher of law, fashion law in particular, host of the Laws of Style podcast, which you can find wherever you're listening right now. What's that been like for you hosting a podcast? You know, it's, it's, I, I enjoy the format a lot. Um, you know, I love how you've uh, really taken your podcast in so many different directions. I, um, I love just letting the conversation flow. And I have a lot of designers uh, on, on the podcast, a lot of fashion influencers, uh, and the fashion industry is really in a state of flux. I mean, everything from DEI issues within the industry to issues of, of ecological sustainability and, and consumptionism um, is being called into question, which is a, a very, very good thing for an industry that is, you know, only, only fossil fuels outpace the fashion industry in terms of overall pollutants, which is a shocking reality wow. when you consider raw raw material production as well um so we deal with a lot of those issues on the show so yeah please check it out and you can follow me on twitter or instagram at hand of the law rhode island's podcast of record b-town